You're listening to The Mixed Project, a collection of photographs and narratives of Black folks in mixed race. I'm your host, Jeff Cooper. In this week's episode of The Mixed Project, I interview Lily Robinson. Lily is a playwright, an actor, and her most recent play titled Mix won the new play prize at this year's Vancouver Fringe Festival. My sister and I made it our business to be there on opening night, to watch a play that dealt with being mixed race, a subject we'd seen almost never treated by any medium. We were anxious to see a bit of ourselves represented and a bit of our lived experiences reflected on stage. Lily had a black father and a white mother, just like us, and raised in the same city. We sat almost nervously in anticipation for the play to begin, and once it did, Our nervous energy was met with gut punches, as the play seemed to have ripped pages right out of our own diaries. The play revealed the push and pull that mixed-race people, particularly mixed black and white folks, feel from each of their communities. The allure of whiteness with its perceived civility, safety, and opportunity, and the exoticism and excitement of blackness rich with flavor, rhythm, and history. One of the main questions mixed the play poses is, does blood equal belonging? When you are raised mixed, with little connection to the black community, what does having black blood actually entitle you to? What claims can we make to the black community? Perhaps even more importantly, how much can we speak for black people? How much should we? And are we even equipped to do so? The following is a clip from Mix the Play, and the production is set up with the audience being guests to a talk show hosted by a Miss Nancy. Miss Nancy appears as an outspoken, no-holds-barred black woman who serves as a mother-like figure to the diaspora and all of its orphans. However, she's also a bit of a gatekeeper. The clip occurs after the character Max appears on stage and Miss Nancy begins to interrogate them about their background. What's your name? My name is Max. A round of applause for Max. I'm going to make a proposition, and you tell me if you'd agree. Around here, under, in Vancouver, under a certain set of circumstances, you might know so little about being black, you could even be black and not even know it. Does that sound possible to you? Well, I mean, I suppose so. <laughs> Go on. I just mean that's kind of how I grew up. Oh, yes, I see it. The light complexion. Liberal family. You, uh, you white? Uh, well, I'm, I'm mixed. Ah, yes, I can see it. Just that honey skin, just ethnic enough to be exciting, but not black enough to be a problem. <laughs> yes, I, everyone around them chanting, the human race is one race. We all bleed the same blood. That's Vancouver for you, right? who's bleeding out on the sidewalk and who's walking away without charges. Am I right?
Well, uh, my mom's mom was from the States, and my mom's dad was from England originally, but his parents brought him over to Salt Spring Island when he was a kid. Um, my mom grew up in North Van. They're all white. And uh, I don't know my dad. I've met my half-brother on that side, but I've never um, met my father. I don't really know my black side. <laughs> Your black side, like you can amputate it. <laughs> but that's not how it works, is it? You can tell from that clip already that Mix the Play is incredibly politically charged and really holds back at nothing. It made my sister and I all the more excited and all the more interested in sitting down with Lily in her home as we did for this interview and chatting with her about her experiences and the process that led up to her writing and eventually staging Mix the Play. One last note about um, audio. For any folks out there who have ventured into podcasting, and for those who maybe don't know and never have, uh, audio can be a bit of a, how shall I put it, learning curve. The audio you've heard thus far in the interviews has been fine, and what I will tell you is that in the future it will get even better. So thank you so much for your patience. And enjoy the interview with Lily. So we're sitting here with Lily Robinson. Uh, Lily, you are a playwright and an actor. Your recent play, Mix, was the recipient of the new Play Prize at this year's Vancouver Fringe Festival. It also won the Cultivating the Fringe Award, uh, an award that is given to a show that demonstrates unique potential. And I believe Mix will now have a run at the Cult Theatre, isn't that true? That's right, sometime in 2020-2021. Okay, cool. And yeah. do you know how long that run's going to be for? I don't know. I, I don't know any details no, yet, okay. but we'll be talking to them about it. So we'll, um, we'll all be sort of keeping our eyes and ears open for uh, the mixed plays right at the cults because uh, after this conversation, I think people are going to be really eager to go to go and see it. Um, so my sister, Hadi and I, we were there uh, on opening night uh, for the Mix's debut in the Vancouver, for Mix's debut in uh, the Vancouver Fringe Festival. Uh, without giving away too much, uh, in Mix the Play, we witnessed the experience of a young mixed race woman who enters into a dissociative state and is visited by two characters. One Miss Nancy, a black woman, a sort of Mother Africa figure, if you will, and another Samantha, a quintessential almost 1950s white woman in a very conservative dress. Uh, over the course of the play, each of these characters try to lure the protagonist mix onto their respective sides and sort of, in some ways, force mixers to make a choice between two races. Um, so I'm curious to know, how much does this story really reflect your own experience growing up half black and half white? Um, well, Mick, like Mac, Max, who becomes mixed through a, a ritual, um, yeah. is, uh, yeah, all the details of their life are based on my life and some, with some adjustments and exaggerations in terms of the character itself, like, and themselves. Um, cause Max, Max is like a, like a, uh, jacked up version of like the most anxious introverted part of myself, yeah. um, sort of a clown of myself. And then 
when uh, through some magic of Ms. Nancy's, uh, Max turns into a different part of themselves, which is then referred to as Mix, that's sort of a clown of the clown, is like a different version of them that's more curious, more open, more um, uh, ready to go on the journey that Ms. Nancy has for them. And I was curious to hear your um, a summary of the show because I'm just starting to piece together like what people are taking from yeah. it. So like in, like in the writing of it, the whole the entirety of the show is not meant to be a dissociative state. Max does go into like it's it's mentioned it's talked about that yeah. parts of it are them dissociating, um, but the initial setting and and the setting that we come back to is meant to be the room we're in, the theater we're in, okay. Ms. Nancy's sort of talk show, her, yeah. her world. Um, yeah, and Max, the character, is a, is a gender-questioning, uh, right. non-binary sort of person. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that, because when I was writing it, I was like, I think, I wasn't sure, I couldn't remember if they referred to her pronouns. I think... Is there a moment where they say she? Ms. Nancy genders Max a lot, gotcha. as, and and Samantha as well. But uh, they both gender Max as female. Mm-hmm. But uh, Max is uh, doesn't know where they fit <laughs> in multiple ways. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Um, and um, yeah, like in what way does that sort of really reflect? Like, I mean, this is such a big statement, and we'll get more into it later. But like. You're saying that it was it's based very much on your own experiences. Yeah, you a say? lot of it. Yeah. So I'm just curious about in what ways you feel that maybe you've been forced to make a choice between your blackness or your whiteness. Have you experienced a pull in each way, and when does that happen to you? Hmm. Um, I mean, the way I grew up, uh, like in Vancouver, in East Vancouver. Um, around a lot of diversity, but very few black people when I was a kid, especially, um, and raised, uh, just like, I don't, I've never met my dad. And so I grew up just with my white, the white side of my family raised by my mom. Um, so for a long time, I didn't even really conceive of my blackness in a, in an embodied way. Like I knew it as like a, almost like a, a cool story like yeah. that my dad's african-american and so, you know um but there was so much i didn't understand like like i didn't even, i didn't understand that for a long time that i couldn't know where i was from specifically in africa like because my my dad on my dad's side goes back through slavery and um uh yeah, so just, like, so I remember doing a school project, and I, my mom, uh, just to me, she probably explained it to me, and I just didn't understand, but, uh, to make things simpler, it was like a school project where you're supposed to say where all the places you're from and, like, research them, so, like, we were like, I think we just chose a nation from West Africa, and we're <laughs> like, Cote d'Ivoire, great! And then, somehow in my brain, that fused, that, so that was when I was like probably 10 or 11, that fused, so for a long time, or like through, through my early teenagehood, I was telling people I was part Ivorian, and I was like, and it was a long time before I was like, wait, I, before I talked with my mom and understood, I was like, I have no idea what African nation my ancestors are originally from. Yeah, yeah. 
You just internalized it because it was it was, it was told to you. It sounds like yeah, and, and like I say, I can't remember how much context my mom yeah. gave me around it, yeah. but I just know that whatever it was, like my brain took latched onto that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, just that's just as a to explain sort of the depth of my naivete <laughs> um, growing up. Um, and so, yeah, so it wasn't until later um, in my adolescence, uh, like, what I always sort of drop in. I mean, as I was getting older, I think more questions around identity uh, were coming up, as they do. And, like, the two sort of things that, for me, I, I think of as me starting to really think about my blackness, the triggers for that were I went, ac- I did a trip across Canada, um, and I went to Montreal and Toronto and Winnipeg and seeing uh, the different demographics in those different places, like going to Montreal and staying with one of my good friends who had grown up here. She's black and uh, actually from her, her family is directly from Cote d'Ivoire. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah. and You're actually building an... Uh, is it, is it Ivorian? Ivorian. You were building an Ivorian community around <laughs> you without even realizing it. I know. We we even had conversations where she like because I, I said that to her when, <laughs> when we first met that I was Ivorian, and she's like, "Oh, well, like my mom was asking, like, what's your dad's name? Cause she knows most of the Ivorian dudes <laughs> in Vancouver." And I was like, oh, he hasn't been here for a long time, so I don't think." She, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go now. Bye. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but anyway, she had moved to Montreal and staying with her and uh, a couple of friends of hers who all lived in a house together. They're all like dark skinned black people, all queer. And then walking down the street with them in Montreal and just seeing the like unveiled racism of like people crossing to the other side of the street, like all this kind of shit, you know? Wow. And that was a real wake up call. And like the way my friend describes it is like, you know, there's, there's, uh, in like Vancouver has, like we were kind of talking about before that like this, is this insidious version of this like ra- version of racism that's like veiled in nice words, but that it's like exotification and fetishization that you see a lot of in Vancouver, whereas in Quebec, like something about is like a more old school like Catholic whiteness and all this stuff is more of the like nasty fear-based racism mm. that we think of as, like, the United States. But yeah. it, it's present there, and it's like, uh, yeah, it was kind of a slap in the face to to see that, uh, because I, I hadn't witnessed that so much in Vancouver. I had sometimes, but not to the same degree. Um, and then, contrarily, like, going to Toronto, and there's black people everywhere, and suddenly, like, I'm being seen in a very, very different way that I never had before, and my blackness is being recognized, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, it really changed the way I, I saw myself um, to be seen in that way, which I never ha- had been in Vancouver prior to that. I mean, that's not true. I could, I remember as a kid, sometimes, like, black people would walk by and give me the nod, and yeah. I'd be like, I get the nod. <laughs> cool. But not really know what it means. Like, no, it's, I knew it was because I was black, but I, but that, that was all. Like, yeah. you know, still pretty surface level. Um, 
So as far as like, well, yeah, and then the other thing, uh, going back to the the question, um, but the other thing uh, subsequently to that, so that was around 2013, 2014, and then I think it was 2016 uh, was uh, sort of Ferguson had just happened, mm-hmm. like the, the fallout from Ferguson, and uh, in July, I think 2016, um, was when Philando Castile and Alton Sterling were two black men in the States who were murdered within two days of each other, and this was following, you know, a string of these cases of unarmed black men being murdered and cops being let off. And then it was like, yeah, the first week of July, these two men killed within two days of each other. And for me, that was like uh, kind of a breaking point of that was really concretely. I remember thinking like, I know my dad's African-American and in a not so different world, I might have grown up in the States. And if, if I was there now, I would have to choose a side. Like, yeah. that was a really clear feeling that I had. Um, yeah, and and trying to talk to my mom about that grief and her not really understanding yeah. and not having the language around, um, around it. The, the language that I was starting to learn about colorism and things like this mm-hmm. that she wasn't aware of. And, mm-hmm. and that, for me, was also a big this sort of heartbreak to, that um, in trying to talk about it, it sort of got absorbed into white guilt, essentially. Yeah. Like, um, you, can you tell us a bit, if you want, a bit about her response? Like, what was it like? Yeah, I mean, I, we might have to redact this. I'll think more about it later. But, <laughs> um, about her response, it was that trying to remember how I like what I approached it as but I remember I was trying to to tell her about like what I was feeling around this and and this grief that had like sort of woken up in me and and feeling like um I don't know if I said this to her but just but like what what had been going on in my head was like this thing of did you understand the risk that you were taking like the risk that you're putting onto this child by having a black child like I don't know if I said that in as in so bluntly but I think that sentiment came out and I think that was really hard for her and I think that was sort of uh and also like when I when I was trying to talk about like colorism and light-skinned privilege and that being another piece in feeling like uh how do I belong in the black community when I feel, you know, when I, I know I have all these privileges that have afforded, that have been afforded me by being, by my proximity to whiteness, and also this piece about, um, being so disconnected from my culture because never growing up in it. Um, all these questions, I think, yeah, she didn't have, even at that time when I was just kind of grabbing onto the yeah. language around it, it was more than what she had to talk about it. Yeah. And I imagine yeah. that was like, uh, weird or like yeah. in- intimidating maybe in a way. And, um, so having to like explain colorism to her yeah. and, and, and I think she's come a long way since then. Um, but I think at that point, the, the reflex defensiveness yeah. of, all against all this which which can be hard because i mean if you if your mother's been somebody who's always been there to love you and support you and mm-hmm. if that's if you believe that that's their role as a mother all of a sudden when it comes to this very personal and this very 
emotional thing that you're going through for them to not be able to not have the tools. It's not that she didn't have the tools. Yeah. To, to, to meet you where you need her to meet you is, um, yeah. can feel really devastating. I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but there's, um, it's, it's funny to hear you talk about, or not funny, it's interesting to hear you talk about sort of like having to make that choice or, um, what I'm trying to say really is that there is, um, some people who are mixed and who have light skin privilege who sort of really lean into that privilege. Mm-hmm. They'll lean deeply into it. They'll say, okay, well, these issues are happening in the news or I see what's happening with black people globally, but I'm going to sort of lean into, um, um, my privilege and, and not sort of preoccupy myself with that. Mm. It sounds like for you that was never a question though, eh? Um, I get, no, I mean, I think, I think it all, like, (laughs) (laughs) I think throughout my life, uh, I've been so oblivious to, to race and how it affected me in so many ways because of my privilege of like growing up in a community where there, uh, the liberalness of the community and the the diversity of East Van, like, and my own um, my own racial ambiguity, and like I I did well in school. Like my mom, my mom's a voracious reader, and so I took that on. And you know, I I didn't really have a problem with systems, so I mm. I got through pretty unscathed. Um, and so for me, what. And I mean, my, uh, it's, it's so interesting to, sorry, my thoughts are very meandering today, but it's so funny to me, like having my family come to see Mix, Mm -hmm. which is like a, a a very like explicitly political show, very explicitly talking about race in a way that I have never talked with my wider family Mm -hmm. about. Um, but being like, oh, all this, like this, like social justice rage was initially stoked and like, like nurtured by my liberal family you know what I mean like they're all fairly political all this and they definitely have blind spots because they're white but um but like that upbringing is why I think you know I've always been interested in issues of social justice Mm -hmm. and felt passionate about that and so I think that's sort of that when I eventually sort of like my one of a therapist I've had and I always quote her because it's so good um describes you know what I was talking about about the the grief and the realization of my blackness she talked said it, it was the awakening of the blood of the ancestors mm-hmm. which I think is such a spot-on way to put it yes. um when that happened and that converged with, you know, this uh, sort of a political bent that I had already had in my yeah. life, um, I think that combination was why it felt very clear to me that I needed to figure out what my place in the fight was, yeah. you know, in the fight for the betterment of black people. Yeah. And, um and but within that, you know, more more than that, really, it was it was feeling like I got to figure out where I belong in this because I don't understand yeah. where I belong in this. I think because at that point it became so clear that there was this hole in my sense of mm-hmm. my identity mm-hmm. that that um, it didn't feel like something 
like it was a, a magnetic pull rather than like I got a skirt away from this you know what I mean yeah. and the, and again like if I had grown up in a more uh obviously racist place I th- I imagine that that sense of oh I've got to use I like conscious or unconscious of folks who are light-skinned and use that as a way to uh, get through systems more easily and distance themselves from their blackness, I imagine comes from uh, knowledge, like embodied knowledge and or fear of the consequences of, yeah. of embracing your blackness. Yeah. And I don't think it's a, it's not a righteous move, but it's a, I understand. Yeah. I understand that. And I don't, I don't condone it, but I understand what that impulse could be. But for me, like I said, I think because I grew up in a, in a way that I felt sort of armored to that because of my privilege and because of the tools I'd been given, you know, it, it never crossed my mind that I needed to back, away from the fight totally and i think i think about the word risk assessment you did this risk assessment it sounds like and you i don't know if it was i I mean just when you say that it it was never that conscious it was never like i'm gonna weigh this out you know like i said it was much more it was like it was from the point of of realizing what this hole in my identity and my life was that I had never really thought about in mm-hmm. depth from the point of realizing that I was just like I gotta figure this out gotcha and it wasn't re- and the the political aspect of it was sort of just came with it like I didn't yeah. think about it you know yeah. in the play there is these two characters who are pulling mix in mix right not max at that point it's mix yeah you can use okay sure um, where the two characters are seemed to be pulling, pulling mix in two different um, directions. My sister and I were really struck by the allure of whiteness that's depicting uh-huh. in the play. This allure of whiteness. Can you speak to that? The sort of the way that the allure of whiteness is represented in the play or just in the systems at large? Yeah, I think, um, so I worked with the, so through the Fringe New Play Prize, I got to work with Playwrights Theatre Centre, and uh, I was assigned a dramaturge, and her name's Joanna Garfinkel, um, and she's white, but she spent a lot of time uh, working with uh, all kinds of diverse communities, but specifically living in Texas, and uh, I think, I don't, like, I don't want to make this sound weird, but just like living in Texas and and not shying away from the black community, like maybe yeah. some pe- white people would, but being like you know being fairly immersed in it. So she has and she has a lot of context around uh, academic uh, histories of blackness and all this stuff. Anyway, she's, a, she's been an incredible resource in breaking all this down um, and developing the play. So one of the things we talked about. Uh, early on was this idea of neutrality and, and white neutrality and, and uh, a great concept that she talked about was like this idea of human neutral in, in our society is like human neutral is a thin, young, cis, white, straight man. Um, and everything that diverges from that, mm. you know, the more you diverge from that, the further from human neutral you are. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, the, the allure of the Samantha character is represent and 
the allure of it is the allure of neutrality and this idea of like when you move through the world as a white or white passing or light skinned person um that this opportunity to not think about things so hard and to just like the the relief of being able to just sit at a coffee shop or just have a picnic mm-hmm. as happens in the play this is a tactic of Samantha's is that uh, she gets she gets mix alone and they sit down and there's a picnic and she has grapes and treats and later she offers mix a croissant and like these simple pleasures of, of wealth and of whiteness yeah. um, and you know, living in Vancouver, it's like that thing of um, sitting in a cafe that you know is is incredibly gentrified. Like part of you know, like we Playwrights Theatre Centre is located right next to Hogan's Alley um, in Vancouver, and and that strip now on the one side there's the Nora Hendricks housing project, which is really awesome, like centering um, giving affordable housing to Indigenous and Black populations. And then on the other side, there's this strip of, like, new development, all these, like, shishi boutiques, bar kind of places, and, like, a couple, like, high-quality food and cafe places. And there's, like, one that I went to all the time, Harvest Community Foods. Mm. It's a beautiful little space, really good food, gluten-free options. (laughs) You can just sit there with the sun coming through and be like, this is part of gentrification. What the fuck? Like, it's, like, that sense of respite or respite whatever that word is like that there's peace to be found there but that is part of such a violent um system yeah. i think that that's kind of the the one of the things um that i wanted to use the character of samantha to embody is that push pull um yeah that's yeah good. that picnic got us when she brought up that like blanket and the and the little treats and the music the Doris the, Day the Doris song. Day song. We were like, I want to have a picnic. <laughs> I, I felt so embarrassed. I was like, Why do I want to join that picnic? You we know, both, like we both just <laughs> leaned forward and started to salivate and be like, like We want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. That's yeah, so it cool. So funny. It was like, apparently, like we did, had like personal work through your work. Like we had to like yeah. really evaluate ourselves. Like mm. yeah, play to see that for us. To see it, we're like, like, dang, we're like, why do you want to be at that place? Well, yeah, mm. and for us, it was like the thing that really stood out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of like where we want to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, not that we want to so go, but our insides want us to go. I can't explain. That. No, I know you exactly. Know what what you mean? Mean? It was just it was a feeling that came from my absolute gut, from my belly. Yeah, from my wow. gut it was that picnic. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I think it really is like this, and this is the sort of tragic part, like this idea of a, like the really understandable thing of like, I just want to sit at a picnic and like Mm. be peaceful for a minute. And then the tragic part of that is that like the world is telling us and it seems to be the reality so much of the time that in order to get that, you have to have wealth and you have to be white mm-hmm. or at least act white or pass for white pass or for whatever, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's white adjacent. Yeah. Um, one thing that um, this is getting not really off topic, but like one thing that I think about is um, how little time, you know, um, many black people who are deeply marginalized have for um, leisure. Yes. But yeah. for leisure. 
just because you have to, for so many different reasons, having to work so many different jobs or not living in a safe community. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. It's just thinking like, you know, being able to get out and go for a walk, like go for a walk in the countryside or go to the park with your kid. That kind of thing is something that's really still not accessible to so many, um, to so many black people. So we just talked a little bit about the allure of whiteness, but I'm just curious about the allure of blackness. So how have you felt that your black identity is something that you've been uh, gravitated towards? Or In Vancouver, I almost feel like um, kids of other races see an allure in black culture. And so I'm curious about your experience with that. Totally. Like, it makes me think there's a line that Ms. Nancy says that's like, everybody wants a piece of the black woman. And it was great on nights where there were black women in the audience because you could hear them go, yup. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah um, so, like, my pers- like my experience of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because I think there's, like, it's a big theme in the play as well as, like, uh, this thing where, yeah, this thing that society loves black shit. Mm-hmm. They don't like black people, but they love black shit. Yeah. And like specifically white society love, yeah. but all kind, like the world. The world is obsessed with black culture. And it's crazy. Um, um, and so like the character of Ms. Nancy for me sort of represents that allure, like both personally and on a, on a wider level. Um, like this idea of uh, everything that is like hot and hip about about black culture and specifically like black femininity mm. Femi- femininity is that <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and like uh, you know the whole sassy black woman trope mm. and all this stuff that people cannot get enough of and that like she talks about she, she has an opening monologue where she's walking through the audience um and talks about uh internet slang mm-hmm. and this is a thing from my own life so like to, talking back to like before i really uh understood my blackness that i remember talking about online slang as internet slang mm-hmm. and it's not until the past few years that i've been in communities that have made black, the black community that has made me understand how much of this internet slang shit that people are putting in their Instagram photos and all this stuff um, is black Mm -hmm. and is specifically so much of it is rooted in black queer communities and the work and like lives of black trans women and drag queens Mm -hmm. Um, and that yeah understanding that for myself was kind of revolutionary Mm -hmm. and it's a thing that I think just really encapsulates how common it is. Like when you start looking for it, like in your coworkers and your friends, in your friends' Instagrams, like how often they're saying "yes" or "come on now" yeah. or like what any any uh, slave, slave yeah. fire, like any of this, <laughs> and how it's like a game for me now to track when someone is taking on a black persona and like and for often for either comedic effect or for like a cool factor like yeah. I'm gonna say something witty now yeah I'm gonna subtly put on a black scent and it's it's like it's one of those things that is it's so tricky because you know at least in my communities I when I see this in my friends and my coworkers, like 
like that it's not from a place of spite, but no. it is, but it's not right either no. for you to be doing this unconsciously and and without crediting without crediting the people it comes from or fighting for the fights that those people us black people have to fight for you know yeah. just profiting off it yeah through either monetary means or just cool factor right yeah. and it's one of the things that's hardest to talk about because i or an example of the kind of thing that's so hard to talk about that it's like it's, everyone is doing it and they're so unconscious about yeah. it and it's hard to call out because it's so common you yeah. know and like is that, that that nice Canadian thing of you don't want to make people feel awkward? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so I tr- and it's interesting that like people I know who have seen the play and like theoretically heard that moment where Nancy talks about it are still doing it. Yeah, and it's like maybe it didn't quite land. Or maybe <laughs> you're just forgetting. But um, yeah, so that fascinates me. And I mean, my own for my own part in terms of the allure of blackness is like. I don't know, this thing of, like, realizing that black culture is my culture and that I have a claim to it has been a thing that I've wrestled with for a long time because this and it's one of the fueling questions of the show of, like, if you haven't grown up in a culture, is it appropriation to start taking it on? I think you said, does blood equal belonging? Yeah, that's one part of it, too. Um so like is it I've I, yeah I've never I haven't grown up around black people in my family I've never spent any time really in the states but I know my family is African American with southern roots so does it make it okay for me to put on the black scent sometimes and like it's not something I grew up with but I do have a, a blood claim to it you could argue so um, have you answered that question yet do you think in your head or are you still working on it um I don't know I think I am I'm still working on it and I think I I try to be careful about what passes I give myself you know in terms of um yeah in terms of those kinds of things of like am I allowed to slip into the black scent is that do I you know like that kind of thing and and it's changed now as I'm in more black spaces and seeing um like having a more thorough sense of diaspora and of this sort of like pan-African idea and the way that different people who I know are from all different backgrounds in the diaspora do take on each other's uh, ways of speaking or mannerisms or whatever that they don't necessarily have a direct claim to. But like this idea of Mm pan-Africanism is interesting to me Um, and feels a bit, feels freeing to be like, This is mine. Like I can do this. This this these are my people. Um, but at the same time, I think being conscious of, uh, for me, because m- much of my work is in spaces where there are very few black people. So being careful of like if I'm modeling one thing, yeah. um, like using all this slang or this accent or whatever then people are inevitably going to feel encouraged, like, consciously or not. It's, you know, like, that I have a part in that. Like, if I'm doing it without uh, thinking at all around a lot of non-black people, then 
of course, you know, you mimic people you're around, right? And rather, yeah. whether they're thinking as far as like, oh, that's a black person saying it, so in this space, so it's okay. Whether they're thinking that or not, I think it has an effect. Yeah. So, so yeah. So think, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. I think it can be interpreted as permission sometimes, and in my experience, mm-hmm. it has been for sure. Yeah. yeah. It was just kind of thinking about the accent of Miss Nancy. At the beginning, she has sort of like this quintessential African-American accent. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay, so they're going to go this route. It's going to be an African-American woman, yeah. sort of. And then all of a sudden, later in the play, she turns her accent, changes into like a West Indian accent. And I was like, oh, there's a West Indian sort of mix here. So is that kind of connected to your idea of like multiple, like we're all, I don't know how to explain that. The pan-Africanism. The pan-Africanism, there we go. It's a little, it's a little bit different just because um, that character is through the specific context of the Anansi mythology. So Anansi is a, a figure of West African folklore. Um, he's like often depicted as a half spider, half man, okay. or he can like switch between them. Sometimes he's a spider, sometimes he's a, a human. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a trickster and he's often, he's like, Sometimes he's playing tricks on other people and coming out on top. Sometimes he's kind of a fool character, and he's, there's always sort of a moral to Anansi tales. Um, and Anansi, these these stories came with slaves across the ocean and through the diaspora, and because there's a really high concentration of uh, I don't. I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but the Ashante people, um, who are a West African uh, ethnic group, a really high um, concentration of people from that background ended up in Jamaica. So, uh, so Jamaica is like a really, like there's tons of Anansi stories there because mm. that culture brought it with them. And then you also find um, like derivations of this uh of the character and the tales, like there's Br'er Rabbit is a figure in like uh, African American mm. stories and and uh, yeah, folklore in the South, um, who is derived from Anansi. Like there's similar tricksters, different different animal, but a similar role in stories and of and the whole thing is like this small creature outwitting larger oppressors. And so for slaves, it became a real symbol of, because Anansi is all about wit and uh, talking, uh, talking his way out of shit, cleverness, that like if you can if you can um, embody some of that that will help you survive you know mm-hmm. if you can talk your way out of of the harder field work that might mean you live longer mm-hmm. you live another day right like yeah. um, that kind of survival and and Nancy is found throughout the diaspora and is representative of the wideness of the diaspora. Mm-hmm. And so for like, because there's such a concentration of these stories and the, that specific history in Jamaica, that was one thing. And the Caribbean in general, that was one, um, dialect that we wanted to touch on. We had in the, in rehearsal, we had tried a couple other accents, but partly just for sake of time and learning accents, like, like a West African accent. It didn't quite come through into the show, but just, we wanted to embrace this idea that like, for me, the African American accent was, is partly because that's what my roots are. And it's partly because 
the way I see it, like this character, Ms. Nancy, who is, I see as like a, a modern day, like it's what a Nancy is appearing as for us in the modern day here. Um, that that American, African American accent is the attractive thing right now, right? It is the hip thing. It's a so, charming thing, maybe? It's a charming thing, and that, so that's what she takes on yeah. as this character for this crowd. Um, uh, but yeah, but also we wanted to embrace and acknowledge that Ananzi comes from a plethora of cultures in the diaspora. Cool. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Great answer. <laughs> Um, you sort of have started to like uh, answer this question earlier, but I was just curious about how did you get to a place where you were able to write a play about being mixed race that was so spot on? So you really nailed the representation of each race. And what was your, how, how did you do that? Was it through observations, like growing up? Where did you have to be in your life in order to be able to produce this play? Oh, um, that's a big question. <laughs> I mean, I was just laughing a little bit because I was like, "Oh, you thought the representations were spot on? Well, that's like, good. That's good." Because I'm like, I don't know, and and I think you know, I'm sure people have all kinds of opinions. But um, sorry, what were you gonna say? <laughs> well, like, I'm just curious about like, where did you have to be? Like, what kind of work did you have to do in your life to be able to be able to? present these two races and sort of put yourself in the mix of all of it? I mean, like, the the things I knew really clearly were my own experience as a mixed-race person um, and the, the, the representation of white liberalism that shows up, that is kind of what Samantha channels. Mm-hmm. Um, those things I've just are my experience or what I've lived and grown up with. Um, so for me, that was a practice of just like, and, and in general, the show, a practice of like writing, like trusting that writing really specifically to my experience would translate mm-hmm. in a universal way, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and having good guidance from mentors around me. Like I, I, um, I also work with Rumble Theater. Is uh, I'm the emerging playwright in residence there. So the the artistic director Javesh uh, Parasram, um, yeah, and, and him and Joanna gave a lot of good guidance around just like trust your experience and and go from that um, and don't worry too much about representing everything you know because that was a thing sometimes I'm like. But all these other people in Canada have gone through these different things. Like, there used, there's a version where Nancy's monologue at the beginning was much longer and sort of t- touched on the history of different ethnic groups in Canada and the histories of um, racism and erasure that have affected different groups in different ways. Um, but, but having to, for time partly and for clarity of the show, like just hone in on we're talking about blackness here and that's okay to just talk about blackness yeah. just talk about our experiences more more specifically and yeah and writing like writing Ms. Nancy and trying to represent um, the black community in some ways um, was the more challenging thing because I struggled with feeling like I don't know this so well and I don't want to represent it wrong. Like one big question, like a, a thing that I wanted to weave in was this thing as a queer black person of feeling like, um, 
well, white people don't get me, so I want to hang out with a black community. I want to be in the black community, but then plenty of folks in the black community are not down with me being queer, mm-hmm. and that I can find much easier, at least in Vancouver, I can find much easier acceptance in white, white spaces, essentially, you know? So that push and pull, and so, like, a big question. I wanted to find a way to represent that in Nancy's character as the part of her that is... Uh, more old school to like to find a way to represent that and feeling like this is not my experience of uh, directly you know of like being a black person who is queer navigating that in in black spaces or in a black family mm-hmm. specifically in a black family that's not my experience mm-hmm. you know so wanting to find a way to do that honestly but not um in a flat or, or two-dimensional way, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was really lucky to, uh, uh, like, our costume designer, Fergie, um, her uh, professionally, she goes by C.S. Ferguson, um, she's a incredible wealth of knowledge and so generous in sharing it, and, and her family is from Trinidad, uh, and she... Grew, I think grew up as spent a lot of her life in the States as well. So sort of hearing her experiences across those places and um, her being generous enough to share her opinions and historical knowledge. Like she's a huge academic, so she has a lot of like historical context to put around these things. Um, yeah, she was very generous early in the process to talk about those kinds of things with me and and um yeah so so that was certainly you know having friends helping fill out those parts that i don't know so personally you know um and really i mean like be in terms of being in a place to write this i was just like at the start of writing this i was still very very uncertain and like anxious about where I fit in the black community and it's really been through writing it that I've been able to let some of that go and, and through um, getting out into the community a bit more and talking to people leading up to the show and you know, after the show and create being able to create a space like with the uh, so my good friend Shani Sodi produced the show and together we worked to uh, build a creative team that was all queer and or people of color and like with a particular focus on finding as many black women and femmes as possible to, um, and just being in that space and being able to create that space where it's like you know if it's just if it's the three actors the director and the stage manager in the room, four out of those five people are black women. Mm. Like, you know, and yeah. being like that, that feeling of community, which I'd never experienced. And like other people in the group had expressed, like they never had that kind of a space before. Mm. Um, I, yeah, has really, um, brought me to a different place in, in like feeling okay in myself. And, and so the, the writing of it was kind of just was kind of the risky part was like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to put these things that have been going on inside me and try and make them coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
and then come into a room with other people and try to make that real and then and start to share it with people, which is extremely terrifying, especially early on to like show people early drafts and stuff. And the first reading was like, I was so terrified. Um, so I don't know if it was like a thing where it was like, getting to this place in my life, it kind of feels like it just happened. You know what I mean? Like, I just, like, I got the incredible opportunity of the new play, Fringe New Play Prize and and a a lot of support around that. Like, last fall, I got that prize and I got the um, Emerging Artist Resident, or Emerging Playwright Residency at Rumble, so, and working at Theatre Replacement, um, uh, yeah, like having all, I've been really blessed to have a lot of mentorship this past year and have a lot of resources in that way. And so that kind of support has been a real game changer, I think. Um, and, and the deadline, having a deadline to create a thing. Like this year has been intense because yeah. the, at the start, like this time last year, I hadn't even started writing this show. I started wow. writing it in like November. So it's been a lot of late nights and burnout and trying to figure out how not to burn out. And um, so I'll just say it's been like a messy process. And it's not been like, here's the show. It's ready. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious to know like, what key discoveries were, key lessons learned maybe even of this journey of sort of figuring out where you fit in the black community and how this play helps you figure that out. Are there any sort of like, 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 just really key discoveries that you had that changed the way you, th- you thought about that? Um, I mean, I can share, like, a key, a key moment that came to mind right away uh, was, I don't even know when this was. I feel like maybe in the spring, um, Kona Katranya, who I uh, mentioned earlier, was part of a uh there's an art gallery opening at the grunt gallery for um a project that an artist called cyrus marcus ware um was doing i forget what the the art like the show itself was called but kona and cyrus as part of this opening like had were having a conversation sort of a just them having a conversation and then an audience watching and, and participating a little bit um, about black life and black joy and black futures and being black and queer and all these things. And afterwards, because um, at that point I, I, I just met Kona a couple times, but I knew she was really cool yeah. and I wanted to say hi afterwards. So I was kind of waiting and there were a couple of people um, standing around, like standing talking and I was kind of on the edge. And then this other person um, who was also like light skinned and looked mixed um, turned to me and I was like, come in. And it was like, I'm going to cry. I always cry talking about this because that was like a um, life-changing moment. And I literally spent the rest of that night just crying in this gallery. And then, like, Conan gave me a big hug while I was crying. And that was also, like, really important because she was, she has this way of just, like, seeing you in a really deep way. And, um, yeah, just because I think... I have had so much uh, anxiety and, like, angst around, like, 
can I step into this community? Is that taking up space to, you know, in an inappropriate way to have someone turn to me and like, and say, come in was like everything I needed. You know, that's incredible. Yeah, just that one, that one gesture. Mm -hmm. It was saying everything, everything that you needed to hear. You, you're welcomed here. Yes, and and um, so that for me was like a a thing that happened. That um, I don't know if it changed how I thought about things, but it changed how I felt about things. You know, like that it's possible, and that's I think. Thing for a lot of us who have grown up in Vancouver or places where there are so few black people um, I mean there are more now but especially when I was growing up uh, is this sense of like not even knowing what it means to be in a room full of black yeah. people yeah. much less being feeling like accepted or, or right in that mm-hmm. room so I think, I mean, one thing has just been bit by bit because there are more and more the black community, especially the like arts and activism community mm-hmm. within the black community feels like it's really starting to come together and things are starting to pop up more and more that there's more and more opportunities to just like be in space with black people yeah. um, and with other black queer people yeah. and, and all this stuff. So that kind of has been a gradual thing over this past year while writing Mix to be in more of these spaces and mm-hmm. and kind of like through practice almost. And like, I was going to say, figuring out where you fit in by literally going there and seeing where you fit I'm in. I'm just being there and being like, this is okay. This yeah. is okay. No yeah. one hates me. <laughs> like, you know, and I'm not doing anything wrong. And then sometimes feeling like you're di- doing something wrong, but like that's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that, and I mean, writing the show has just helped me sort of sort through some of my own stuff you know in in ways that are like sort of hard to describe but uh to just have some more clarity around things and I guess I guess the lesson is like that it's not one or the other and and I guess hearing other people in the theater community in particular like POC leaders and indigenous leaders in the theater community talking about and and my the, our costume designer Fergie, who's in a, like just articulates things like this so well, that like binaries are are a colonial idea, you know, and and boxes are a colonial construct, and that pre-colonial societies there has there you can find so much more fluidity and freedom and and so much more understanding of that things exist outside of boxes and and um, that there's power there in, in changeability and fluidity. And that way of thinking has really um, felt empowering, like this thing of, of, yeah, that you don't have to choose and you don't have to uh, be one thing or the other. You don't have to be definable to other people. Like mm-hmm. that that's a thing society wants from you but it's not it's not actually a need of yeah. of of me as a person or yeah. you know it doesn't feed me to i mean maybe it does sometimes to be able to define myself but i'm not uh empty if i can't define myself you know according, and, according to those boxes those categories that, yeah, yeah yeah like i can live in in between the boxes and that doesn't make it wrong yeah. um and for me that's like that's why I, 
Like I identify as a black person and I, I also identify as a mixed person, you know, and, and, and even though those are categories in themselves, but like just acknowledging the, the in between is important for mm-hmm. me because that's where I feel like myself, you know, is yeah. that, is that like, I, yeah. That I am all kinds of things. <laughs> and, I, and I think honestly saying that you're black and mixed at the same time, that is disruptive in many ways, right? That is yeah. sort of going outside the box. I think that you're doing it by, even by employing those two categories in the same time. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, did we talk about her family being at the play? On mic? No, on mic. Okay. Because I was really curious. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm curious about what did your family think of the play? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, and I'm curious if they were surprised by the way that you sort of betrayed um, the two different cultures. I honestly haven't talked, like, I've talked to my mom about it because I showed her the script mm-hmm. ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think, like, she's expressed... Um, you know, that it's been like, like she's learned a lot from, from reading it and watching it. And so she um, did go to the play. Oh yeah. My, my mom's it. super supportive in terms of like my, my creative work. Like she came like four to four out of the six shows. Oh nice. Yeah. She's wow. very sweet. <laughs> um, and I think for her, I mean, I'm sure it's an insight for ev- everyone in my family. Cause like I said, I don't, I have never really talked about this like race with my family um but I don't really know what the my wider family like they seem the one like one of my cousins and my aunt and uncle who I saw right after one of the shows like they seemed impressed they seemed like they had nice things to say about it but I didn't like talk with them in depth about it and I have no idea like um, you know, next at uh, Christmas, I guess it's probably nice to see everybody. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, what are the questions going to be there? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't really know how they they took it. <laughs> There's uh, certain moments in the play where the character of Miss Nancy really sort of sits you down and says, "I'm going to tell you about your people." There's a sort of um, what could be interpreted as, as condescending, not from a place of malintent, but the sort of the sit down, I'm the teacher, you're the student. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt that sort of uh, treatment or that sort of uh, condescent, if you will, from black people trying to teach you about your race? Yeah, and it, it's funny because, like, like um, Max's character throughout, you know, is based on my own yearning for that, to, like, to know and to understand. Um but it's like the Ms. Nancy character for a long time has been sort of based on these people I really look up to in my life, like black women who I've looked up to who simultaneously like know so much and uh, are very wise, and, but also have been gatekeepers in terms of like, oh, you don't know this, then like, what the fuck, what are you doing? Like, you know, and that, that sort of shame of, of, uh, and I've experienced this from other people, uh, not only black people, other people who like are really versed in black culture being like, how come you don't know that? You know, and that shame of like, well, I just, I don't like, you know, um, 
So yeah, that's like for me, it's kind of this arc. Ms. Nancy partly represents this archetype of the like the woke black, um, you know, <laughs> uh, archetype or like like yeah, I guess the everything that I look up to in terms of like smart black people who are woke and who know the histories and who know um can analyze things and see through bullshit and all this stuff but that I've also felt turn into gatekeeping as someone who is not as learned you know um uh yeah so that's kind of where that comes from um that's awesome um Okay. Is there anything else that you want to add? Anything you haven't talked about that you want to add? The show is based... It's so much... Uh, we're, we're planning to tour it eventually, and which will be interesting because it's written so much for a Vancouver audience and from a Vancouver perspective because I've lived here my whole life and that's my experience. And, and so, like, Max is, re- is a, such a metaphor for not only black mixed people in Vancouver, but I think to some extent, like... Any black person who has grown up in Vancouver, I think, can relate to that sense of, like, can someone just tell me, like, what I'm supposed to be doing, who I am, how to deal with this shit? Like, where's the handbook? Um, And that's why I love that your character had so much anxiety. (laughs) The anxiety, I was like, yep, yep. Like, just that freaked out state, kind of. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think it was so good that that was in there. And it's funny, like, this is a thing I've actually, another, like, learning thing, which is hilarious. So you guys know Meanwhile Black in Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah, which is this, which is a closed face, for, for the listeners, <laughs> is a closed Facebook group um, with, that, as far as I know, is kind of the, like, it feels like it's where all the black people in Vancouver are online. And as such, like, there's some wild shit in that group because there's such a range of backgrounds and perspectives and all kinds of stuff. Um, but I've seen multiple conversations within that group about, like, why does no one do the nod in Vancouver? Like, why are people, why are black, especially people who have moved here from other places being like, why did, why are, why are all the black people so afraid to connect? Like, we should yeah. do this. And it actually, through reading those comments and reading so many people being like, I wish this happened more has made me more bolden to actually try and make eye contact with other black people and yeah. like, Try and like connect. Um, I'm trying to think why I think that is. Why do you think people? Why if you don't want to do the nod, why do you not want to do the nod? We'll edit this out. Don't worry. <laughs> I was thinking about the nod yesterday because I was like, my dad's culture, like not culture, sorry, my dad's generation. They were like the OG nodders, you know. <laughs> like when we were growing up, like because our dad was into tennis and all of his tennis friends were all black guys and they all had white wives. Wow. Or girlfriends. Except for maybe one except or two. Except for one, but all of them. Was like they were all like... Black white woman. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, that's all we know. <laughs> Anyways. And, um, and, and they were always nodders. And so we grew up always seeing, like, the nod with our dad and, like, other black people. And I was like, I'm getting older. Am I the next generation of nodding? I'm not nodding. Am I supposed to be nodding next to keep the nod going? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that yesterday. That's so interesting. And, but I'm afraid to nod. I don't know why. I can't really pinpoint it right now. Yeah, I don't know. Do you nod? 
Do you not? I, I do now. This is what I mean. Like, more recently, I've been doing it more actively. I think for me, I used to try and suss out if they clock me as black before uh. the before you know like taking it off of the other person and then it inevitably feels like a rejection if someone doesn't <laughs> clock me yeah, yeah. but and then i think it, that's the thing too is like if you try to do the knot or try to connect and they either don't want to make either clock you as black but don't want to connect or don't clock you at all. Like that's a it's an icky feeling. Yeah. But I've been taking I've been taking the risk more. Of like because it is it's like it feels so good when you do connect. Yeah. I know it does. But as it does, nice, doesn't it? But as light skinned mixed people, it's like <laughs> it's it, it also it's complicated. Yeah. I think I it feels it out. because it feels. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like it's like you feel stupid if if it's if you get the vibe that they'll they just look over you. You know what I mean? Or the same question of belonging, you know, perhaps. Yeah. Okay, this sounds. Okay, I'm being so honest, you guys. Like, <laughs> Go there. Okay, I feel like with black men, if I nod, I feel I've been so like sexualized yes. by black men that yes. I am slightly fearful yeah. of acknowledging them because I'm inviting that into my space you know what I mean and so I don't do it usually with black men and when I see black women because I'm not seeing like mixed girls like you walking around that I can nod to Mm -hmm. so like when I see black women they're usually like you know 100% black my relationship with black women has never been super positive yeah I've had like not confrontations but they're really hesitant to engage with me yeah and so I also have a fear that they're going to reject me because they're going to think something of me. Totally. So on both sides, I don't know what to do. And I find, yeah, and it, it's so much, like, I get the nod back, or at least, and this is the thing with black men, is, like, you don't know if they're keep continuing to look at you because you're having a black connection moment or because they're, they're just trying just to creep on you. Creeping. And it was like, like when I was talking about going to Toronto for the first time, like the part I didn't say was that it's like part of that, that feeling scene was like black guys were hitting on me all the time. And it was interesting because growing up in Vancouver and growing up in like a rougher part of town, I have like, I have pretty intense, uh, like, I don't take shit in terms of like people, guys trying to look at me or guys getting close to me. Like I'm, I have a lot of defenses built up around men, um, in public space, um, in particular. But in, in Toronto, it was interesting because to, because it, it felt different culturally. It was like, you're still like, you're still, you're pretty, I know what you're after, but it doesn't feel, creepy in the same way mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. that it felt like a diff like it felt like no was an option because it was more public in a way it, it's like yeah. it's, I don't know it's an interesting parallel like mm-hmm. it's, a different, mean, it's a different cultural thing and I've heard like Latinx people talk about this too of like culturally and this is a generalization but like men are more aggressive in their pursuit of women and this is super heteronormative as well but the women are also just like no fuck you and it's like like that this is the accepted thing that this is a dynamic right yeah um so it felt like there's i don't know i felt less creeped out by it and maybe that was just like 
also because it felt like such recognition because I knew that they're, they're, they're connecting with me specifically because I'm black. Yeah. And then the extra weirdness of it because I'm light skinned black is probably part of this too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Many layers. So many layers. <laughs> but it's, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, for me, yeah, it's, I can't, I can't speak to that, but that's fascinating to listen to the the experience of being yeah like a, a mix a mixed black girl mm-hmm. how do you how do you, like the nod for me the nod is so it's just my choice whether I do it or not and I don't worry about the repercussions mm. yeah you know maybe just don't worry about it and just do it and see what happens mm, okay yeah. <laughs> well, no but like, saying, no I mean, it's, it's a choice like I have to make a decision no but what you're saying about about the, like the the thing of men and being afraid yeah. of how they take that's follow, that's real that's yeah. real. Okay, so Lily, I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much um, for taking taking your own time out to to sit with us and to and to share your thoughts on your experiences and on this incredible play mix. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very much blown away by your by your words. You're inc- you're a fascinating, fascinating person. I, <laughs> I hope I hope you're proud of yourself, and I hope you realize how uh, how truly valuable you are to, uh, oh. to to all of us. No, no? yeah, oh, God. 100%. Uh, <laughs> <Guys>. <laughs> we'll be looking out for mix mix not mix the play or just mix just mix uh, on instagram it's at mix the play and uh yeah if you search us on facebook i think you have to type in mix the play but it'll mm-hmm. come up as mix mx um but yeah it's just mix mix so we're looking forward to mix at the culture hopefully in 2020 2021 and uh you taking that play also on tour Hopefully around around the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll see, we'll see. Thank hey, you so much. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to yet another episode of the Mix Project. It truly means the world to me to hear who's listening and to get this positive feedback from you folks from all around the world who are listening in and who are connecting and who are experiencing this project with me. It's truly been a labor of love, so it means the world to get that feedback. Please don't forget to like, rate, review, subscribe, do all those things for you, boy, and to help get the word out, especially you folks on iTunes. I think that's where it matters the most. Do those things for me if you can. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks. Thanks.